Beyond IRCAD. Surgical Journeys. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to the show. This is the IRCAD podcast, the podcast where we dive deep into the lives and careers of successful surgeons from all around the world. We're recording from the IRCAD studio in Strasbourg, France. My name is Chris. I'm your host. I'm very happy to be here. And today we have an incredibly special guest joining us. He's dedicating his career to transforming lives and pioneering medical advancements. He's also played a significant role in guiding the next generation of surgeons through education and training. Dr. Armando Melani, benvindo. Welcome. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Chris. My pleasure being here today with you and all the guests. It's a pleasure. So uh, for this podcast, we'll be talking about you. Uh, we'll be focusing on you. And the goal is to provide insights to the younger generation of surgeons, our listeners, medical students, uh, young surgeons, and explore the path that's led you to where you are now. So to begin this podcast, I like to talk about where it all began for you. You're from the vibrant country of Brazil. Uh, can you tell us a bit about your personal background and where you're from? Well, I'm, I'm from Sao Paulo. It's, it's the chapter of the Sao Paulo state. It's in the middle of the Brazil. Uh, it's a, a very inc incredible city and one of the biggest in, in Latin America. And I did my school in Brazil, my high school. And then uh, my desire, because my parents, they, they were from the countryside of Brazil. It's a, well, a small city located uh, 400 kilometers from Sao Paulo. And so I decided to apply for the medical school at the countryside. And so I went when I was 18 to Ribeirão Preto, where I did my medical school in University of Sao Paulo. And from there, I, I decided myself, I will never put my feet in Sao Paulo again as a doctor. I want to live in the countryside. I want to do what I can do for the people that maybe I'm going to do some difference in their lives. And I did my residency in Ribeirão Preto. And from there, I received an invitation to work in Barretos Cancer Hostel, now Hospital do Amor, this is the love hostel. And uh, my life there was surprising because this Hospital do Amor starts as a small hostel and attending maybe 200 patients per day. And wow, in all of this 20 years, several things happen. Nowadays, we have more than 3,000 patients a day. Wow. And this is the largest cancer hospital in Latin America, where we could apply everything that, uh, all the principles that you have in your life. So we could do that. And uh, maybe we wanna talk a little bit uh, later about all, everything that we did and why we did in this place. So it's a, it's a journey, a journey to change life people and I a journey to change yourself, I believe so. And well, uh, for me to be a surgeon was a, a childhood uh, dream because my, my sister, she complains with me until today. She used to receive her uh, uh, toys, like Barbies or something, uh, the, the dolls, 
And so I used to open the abdomen of the dolls with scissors. Oh, really? Yeah. And so my mother said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to cure them. I'm a surgeon. <laughs> and so this was inside me since the beginning, I believe so. Wow, that's incredible. So from a very early age then. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And was there maybe a specific, uh, specific event or maybe a person around you that really sparked your interest in, in surgery? Well, in my family, we have we have no doctors. Okay. And so, but there was a guy that the neighborhood that uh, we call, uh, I call him as an ankle. Unfortunately, he, he passed away some years ago. He was a vascular surgeon mm -hmm. and he was a father, one of the great uh, friends that uh, we had. Uh, our families, we, we worked always together. Maybe that time I had, I had uh, maybe five, five to four years old. And so my seeing him and, and he was very kind. He uh, brought me into the hospital when I was very young. He gave me some ideas about the work and he was a very kind man. And so I maybe he was the first one who inspired me to be a doctor. I understand, yeah. And when you decided to um, pursue medical studies, was your family supportive of that decision? Well, uh, I always uh, said to them that I, 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 in my life, I, I decided very, very early to be a surgeon. When I was into the medical school, my focus was to be a surgeon. That was my... From the very beginning. From the very beginning. I never have doubt from what I should do or what I'm going to do. This is, was my desire. Okay. And as a out, uh, kid, so the other thing is, is to be a... Uh, airplane pilot, no, <laughs> <laughs> jet pilot. But <laughs> really? you know, this is not possible. And so, to be a surgeon, maybe it's an easy career to follow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you can discuss that because being a surgeon is very demanding as well. <laughs> and you know, it's quite similar. You know, controlling. Yeah. Nowadays, uh, the players are similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, as you did your medical studies, you already knew you wanted to be a surgeon. Um, were there people at that moment, like surgeons, that you looked up to and used as a source of motivation? Yes, that, that's true. There's something, someone, always someone, yeah. that you look for and you desire by yourself. So I want to be that guy. I want one day to give a lecture as that guy. I want to have the skills of the other guy. I want to perform as this one. And so in my career, I saw three or four examples that uh, motivate me to do my best. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, everything that you do, you should do with passion and you should do uh, in the best way. I believe that this is the secret to, be, to succeed. So to love what you are doing. And what I do in, in my in medicine or the career, I do because I love to do that. And maybe I succeed because I love to do that. I do that with the pleasure. Yes. Imagine if you have to spend a part of time of our life, great part of time of our life, doing something that you don't like, it's, it's terrible. Of course. So you have to choose something that... Uh, is gonna motivate you, or something that you you really in, is, are going to enjoy. The worst thing that can happen is wake up in the morning, going to a place where you are going to work, and you hate that thing. And so 
and and this for me maybe is the is the key to succeed is the key i believe so it's something you have within you isn't it exactly this i believe this is the most important thing so success come uh money comes can comes after but it, you uh you cannot focus your career because you want to be rich or you want to be known it doesn't work it doesn't work do you think because some surgeons do that for the for the wrong reasons I believe so. We we see several of them just distinguish specialities that uh, oh I want to be for example uh, nothing against the plastic surgeons but the guy want to be a plastic surgeon because he want to do a lot of money he uh, oh, he want to be famous and so well it's it's not this way I believe so if you are a very good plastic surgeon. And if you do things that everybody is gonna admire because this is aesthetic surgery in the majority of the case, okay, you are gonna have that. But uh, you have to feel that uh, your work has to be done with passion. You have to enjoy every nose that you create or yes. you know, every face that you create, otherwise it is not going to work. And so uh, I really believe that this is an important key yeah to succeed because plastic surgery has become quite big in brazil hasn't it yes i believe that's one of the biggest markets so we have international tourism for plastic surgery several people come from europe to fortaleza that is a short distance is six hours flight uh i have friends in fortaleza uh, with big plastic clinics in in my flight coming back here there was a girl just beside me she just had a plastic surgery in Brazil oh, well, well, and she was returning and she said, can you catch my luggage? Of course I can. Why? Because I did a plastic surgery. I cannot oh, well. move. Okay. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah, it's yeah. very common then. It is. Okay. It is. And why did you uh, choose to pursue um, uh, colorectal surgery as a specialty? Well, this is another thing. Uh, in my career, I, I always thought to be a urologist. A urologist. Yeah. Okay. At the beginning, I, I thought to be a urologist. I followed the urology team until my second year of residence. In my second year of residence, I think by myself that, oh, they are going to do kidney transplants, okay, uh, prostates, uh, re resections. Well, but this is not, for me, it wasn't challenging. And I said, which is the challenge thing in surgery that uh, besides uh, cardiac surgery that, uh, well, the cardiac surgery is God in earth, right? Yeah. But uh, no, in abdomen that I, I like, I like trauma, I like abdomen. So which is the thing in abdomen that is challenging, that still had uh, not the best results in, in the world with uh, fistulas, complications, which is the most complicated surgery where the surgeon can be a difference. And I look for a colorectal. Colorectal is, is one of the specialities that if you don't do well what you are doing, you can have a lot of complications and patient can die or they need to use a colostomy forever. And this uh, motivate me to change the specialty for colorectal. Challenge. Yes, the challenge. Yes. And more and more we are seeing colorectal cancers 
is the second uh, largest cancer in the world. Only means for prostate in men and breast for women. Mm -hmm. And the main reason for that is that our food is nowadays terrible. Okay. And so our food is terrible. So the food plays a big, big part in uh, causing those cancers. Yes, that's the truth. Because if you imagine that you are a vegan and your diet is soya-based, where does soya come from? largest industries, several uh, products that they put to grow the soya beans and a lot of uh, uh, poison things to, to kill the plagues. Mm -hmm. And at the other side, okay, now I'm not vegan. I'm going to eat, uh, uh, well, fish and I'm going to eat uh, uh, beef. Okay, but you have a lot of hormones. Yeah, fish nowadays, they are not fishing anymore. They are creating the fish. And so we have farm for fishes for uh, seafood. So what are we supposed to eat? And this is the thing. If you don't have your own uh, uh, chicken or egg, you cannot trust anywhere. Wow. And so, and this is a world problem. We grow as a population. We need to feed all these people. And there is no way if you have no industry behind of, uh, of the food, otherwise nobody's gonna be uh, feed. And so this is, this is very important, I believe, and the understanding of that. And so we have to eat what we have, yeah. but there is a way to prevent colorectal cancer. And now uh, the societies uh, established that the age to start uh, screening with colonoscopy is uh, beyond 40 years. So if you have 40 years, you have to do your colonoscopy to prevent or check if you have some polyps to avoid a colorectal cancer. Okay. And we are seeing people with 32, 36 with colorectal cancer. Wow. So unless you have your own farm, for example, it's That's quite complicated. Exactly. That is the thing. That's if pretty you scary. Own, yeah, it is scary. It's, it's scary. It is scary. Um, you were talking about uh, challenges. You were, you were looking for a challenge. Were, were there times early in your career as a young surgeon uh, when you had challenges that you think really shaped you as a surgeon? Well, the first thing was during the residence program where uh, you start as a resident and there is a lot of pressure on you. And sometimes uh, you have to decide by yourself what you have to do with the patient. And sometimes you are in a crisis time. You have to do the best. And so you have to be prepared. The worst thing that can happen for someone that is in uh, formation is, uh, is learning or the learning curve at to, is to face something that you know that you could do different and you could not because you had not only resources, but you didn't have the skills enough to do that. And, and during the, uh, our life uh, in the learning curve of residence, it happens. And so every small case that you, be, you saw that, oh, in this case, I could do different thing and I didn't. So I have to improve myself or study a little bit more to do better the other day. Yeah. And, and, and I believe that, uh, well, we deal with lives and so 
when you see your the patients eye by eye and you have to decide with them it's a different situations that you see on the book so we read the book oh okay you have to do that but when the patient is facing to you it's a totally different thing i can imagine yeah yeah and as a doctor we have to have this relationship with the patients if you if you don't have this you are not a machine so you cannot play as a machine, but you have to understand the situation of the patient. Are there times when you're facing a challenge and it takes more than just skills? Like, for example, are there situations where you just go with your instinct, with your experience? Well, yes, it, sometimes it happened. I, I remember well, uh, at the middle of my residency, I was in an emergency unit, very small one. And I received a patient with the family and the guy had pain at the, uh, at the chest and he was having a heart attack. Wow. The next uh, hostel was, I believe, uh, about 50 or 70 kilometers from where I was. Uh, there was no way to check his pulse or no electronic medical device to do that. I went into the ambulance with the guy I was measuring his pressure every three minutes, taking his pulse during the entire trip. And when we arrived at the hostel, I could deliver the guy and they could do what they should do. Because in where I was, I could do anything. I have no medication, only a medication for pain. And so I was very satisfied that day because uh, I, I could follow the patient and I could uh, not saving his life because I didn't do that. But during this uh, transport uh, time, yes, I could be beside him and helping him, speaking with him, giving some uh, support, psychological support to to pass that hour and a half to arrive at the hostel and and be okay. I could simply, uh, in, in another way, what I could do, put him on an ambulance and send him there, mm. and so, and I I decide to do differently. And so how, how does it feel when you know that you've made a difference? Well, it's a, it's a kind of a gratitude to yourself. So you, feel, you, ha you have a feeling that you do something or you did something that uh, is really, really good. Yeah. So your adrenaline goes up and you feel like uh, so being in a, a paradise <laughs> yeah that's the thing do you do you even sometimes feel like you have special powers in the operating room you can save a life well this is something that uh, can cross a religious theme or uh, another things that you can believe but uh, every time that we are in the war we are well we have the abdomen open we are inside of the patient because he allows us to do that because patient come to you and he trusts you for doing that thing. So it's not related to, oh, I'm a powerful guy. No, it's not related to that. It's related to the commitment that you did when you swore behind there that when you just finish your medical school, you swore what you have to do because we have to swear when we became a doctor. And so uh, I, I believe that that's the thing. You have tho those principles that rule medicine just inside you. Yes. Yeah. 
when you just finished medical school, though, is it difficult to handle that new big responsibility? Well, and I believe the medical school, you don't feel that that, but uh, at the end of the residence, you feel that that. Yes. Because during the residence, you, you are the first year resident, you are not pain. At the end of a resident, you are God. But the day that you finish your residence, you are nothing again. <laughs> and it happens in medicine because, you know, you finish your, your graduation, you are nothing. Yeah. <laughs> because you compare no, with the people that are coming behind you. So you are the first year, you are the sixth year. And then uh, you, this is what we do. But when we finish, we are nothing again. And so we have, to, <laughs> we have to do the things to, and, to grow. And over the years, I can imagine that the, the pressure that you can feel maybe at the beginning of your career, you kind of get used to it, don't you? Well, I believe the residence program is very important to understand the pressure. Because you can deal with the pressure as a professional, or you can deal with the pressure as a crazy guy. And we are professionals. We have to deal with uh, putting everything and we have to think about what we are going to do under pressure and establish things that is, is gonna decrease your mistakes. And this is the most important thing. You have to remain under control. Exactly, you have to be under control. Okay. And so you, you're also involved in uh, training and education. We, we're here today at the Akat studio. Uh, we were just talking about this before the show. You've been coming here for a long time now, since 2011 uh, as an expert. So that's 12 years, uh, which is amazing. And um, you're one of the colorectal courses directors. Um, what does that educational aspect represent to you? Well, when I finished my residence, there was no laparoscopy. It was just beginning. And so after my residence, I have to look for a course where I could be training laparoscopy. And when you go to your life, so you have to see the patients, how can you explain to the patients that you are going to do something that you are not used to? And so you have to go to courses and be trained to feel confident enough to do or implement new technologies. And I was fortunate because uh, at the beginning of the laparoscopy, everybody was beginning, so there was not too much rules for the things that uh, people were doing. And I could see things and I could understand things that should be done and should not be done. So we start to do colorectal surgery in Brazil uh, very early. And I have, uh, well, two guys that uh, guide me into this time. And those guys, they were Brazilian surgeons. And it was uh, Luis Claudio Pandini and Professor Sergio Regadas. And then at the beginning, they catch my hands and they teach me. I, I, I feel that I was in residence again. Yeah. I feel very confident because someone could come and support me. So from there, uh, after some years, you, of course, that you are doing good things, but you want to improve. And where is the best place to go? to learn and improve France, Ircard France. I came here in 2006 as a student. That's incredible. Yeah, and I saw that time there was a great surgeon, great friend that is one of, I believe it's still my mentor is Joel Leroy. And this guy, he performed in an amazing way. I was really impressed with what he was doing. 
And uh, I feel that I have something very uh, uh, similar from what he was doing. And that course, Bill Hild, that's still coming to our courses, yes. was, was here. And he was explaining about the embryological planes, everything that is related to colorectal surgery. And so I, I said, okay, uh, we were doing courses in Brazil that time. We were teaching people since 2004. But this is a kind of, you know, you have a stone and you shine those stone after. And so it, it, the shine is, is, is a little bit different. So we, you have a diamond uh, and, and it's, it's something that uh, should be polished to be okay. And so, and this was my feeling when I come here, I was polished. And so, and from there, uh, we start to do courses and uh, I wonder that, uh, well, if I have to do something in Brazil, I would like to have a training center exactly as I saw in France. <laughs> and so that's what happened. <laughs> exactly. That's what happens because uh, we could bring here the big boss of our hostel that uh, support uh, all, all the minimum invasive surgery, laparoscopy, because the, we have, were not reimbursed for that. But as he believes that was a good thing for the patients, he said, I don't care, I'm going to pay. Yeah. So you can do, you can, you can start doing that. You have to teach that people to do that because we can go, we can be a good surgeon. We can be skilled, but you have a limited patience to treat in your life. If you can be generous enough to share what you know, through the other hands, you are going to treat more and more patients. That's a great mentality. Course. And this is what we did. And so we start to teach people to do what we were doing and sharing these ideas and more patients could be benefit from, from, from that. Yeah. And this is what ICAD did along, along all those years. Yeah. And sharing and teaching people and very important experts in the lab uh, teaching how to suture, how to do a knot. So Joel Leroy himself was in the lab. So several professors, big names. They, are, they are big names are in the lab. If you want to be teached by a big name, Javier Aracil, so Masaki, they are in the lab teaching transanal surgery. So there is no place where you can be teached by these big fishes in other place besides here. And you're now a big fish yourself. So 2006, first course as a participant, and then five years later, you're an expert. So that's pretty amazing. It's an amazing evolution, isn't it? And so you've become the mentor. And how, how did that feel, you know, to, to be in that position, and no longer a student, but a mentor? Well, I, I believe that is uh, something that happens, can happen if you do a, a good things and, and you want to share what you are doing. It happens one day is that uh, uh, the feeling of uh, helping people to do their best and you look them and you see, oh, this guy is going to be maybe better than I. And I, I want to see him growing. Because, you know, I believe that life is like a, a sea. It's, you can surf just one wave. And you have to teach someone to surf the another one that's coming behind you mm -hmm. because you are going to surf just one. Yeah. So, and this is what I think about it. You, we have to teach or uh, have someone to renovate or someone that can replace you in the future. 
I don't believe that uh, if you are a boss of a place and this place can only work with the boss present. Mm. It has to work without the boss. It doesn't matter. And so because you know that people that are belongs to your team are committed with your thoughts, the things that you believe. And you have to have people be the same thing, same believers, same believers. That's, that's a really, it's a great mentality, uh, passing on knowledge. Um, sometimes, you know, you hear people saying that there's uh, also quite a lot of ego in the world of surgery. And uh, what, what, what do you think about that? Well, when we manage those courses, we see big guys with big egos. But at the end of the day, we know that this is not important. It is important what the guy can do because this is one of the things that happened with, with the... Well, we discussed with big guys that they had the ego in the past. They were big guys in the past. And today, they lost their position. They are nothing. Yeah. On the other hand, you see big fish, humble guys that uh, were big fish in the past. They, they are not in their position anymore but they are still coming and teaching because they are respected. I understand. There is a big difference. Yeah. And impose yourself with big ego or be respected from what you are doing. And I believe this is a great message. Yeah. It is a great message to be respected. To be respected, you cannot, uh, you have to be humble. Yeah, it's Because, you know, Everyone can do what you can do, probably, if they are trained on that, on that. if he, pre he prepares itself to be that person. He's men mental, mentally, you prepare yourself to do the difference. And so you, you can become someone. Yeah. But uh, you have to do this with respect. And so you're also obviously involved in the Ircat centers in Brazil. Uh, what's, uh, what's the story with that? How did that happen? How did that come to life? Well, I have to apologize now, my friends from Argentina. But uh, when I came here and asking for uh, IRCAD in South America, Jack came to me and said, Oh, Armando, uh, unfortunately, we are just starting a center in Argentina. The foundations are arising, so we are going to start the building. Soon, I believe so. I don't think that's possible to have an card in Brazil. Oh, really? I said, okay, I'm going to bring my boss here. So, and when we came with my boss, and he is a special guy. It's, he's a um, well, controversial guy, but he's a wonderful. I lo I've loved Henrique Prata. I love the way that he behaves. I love what he believes. And so Henrique came without speaking any, any, any word in French or uh, English, even Portuguese is, was very bad. <laughs> <laughs> he has a great history in, in life. And so, Henrique came, and so we had, we sit together with John Marisco, and we had a meeting, and at the end, Henrique says, you cannot translate what I'm feeling. For myself, for Edmundo uh, Mawa that was beside us, uh, is another director of the hostel, and that time we didn't speak English very well, so and, 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 and Henrique says, I'm going to speak in Portuguese. He's going to understand. And so after that, this meeting, Jack came to Brazil. And, well, it's a miracle. Yeah, it happened. And it happened. And it happened. And we had the first unit. And some few years later, 
There was another guy, Edson Bueno, he decides to do a training center, more focus on robotics, but also minimum invasive surgery. He came and we had a partner together because the first year cardiac in Brazil is attached to a cancer hospital. So some disease that we want to share or we want to teach, you don't have in those uh, in, in that cancer hospital. Okay. And this is why we had the second unit for general surgery or another specialties and was complementary center, one to each other. And this is why you have two centers in Brazil. So the first center was in Barretos, is that yes, correct? And exactly. the second one? Rio de Janeiro. Okay. And so in Barretos is very special because uh, the number of uh, patients that we have in the hospital, the numbers of surgery that are done per day in minimum invasive surgery, nobody can do in South America. And uh, nobody can do. And this is very good because we uh, are able to teach people uh, and to share all of the, those knowledges that we got in a few years and people are gonna probably live their lives and are not going to operate the number of the case that we are, we are able to operate in two or three years in Barretos. Okay. So how, do you, how would you say that Brazil would compare to uh, like France, for example, or the United States, as far as um, surgical advancements are concerned? Well, uh, one thing that for me matters, and I see that uh, traveling all over the world, is the skills of the, the surgeon. And how a surgeon is able to deal with the anatomy, with difficulties. When you are trained in a place where you have plenty of resources, so the resources, I'm going to overpass your skill. When you are training in a place where you don't have resources, you have to be skilled enough to deliver the same results. And I believe that Brazil and South America countries and India, some places where we don't have the same resources that we can have in USA or in Europe, makes the surgery in a different way. I understand. And I believe this is very important at the beginning. But uh, at the end of the thing, work with all the resources that you can is very good. But first, you have to understand how to work without them. Because this is what we are seeing the next generation. If they don't have something, they are not able to perform what is stupid. Yeah. And here in IRCAD, uh, so we teach exactly that. We, we start without any resources. And so at the end, you have... Uh, big energy device, you have staplers, but uh, you have to be trained in all of those things. Yeah, it's good and to now, know how to not rely just exactly. on the technologies. Of exactly, and now with the robotic surgery, it's happened the same because uh, robotic surgery is, uh, is uh, you cannot have robots everywhere. Uh, and it's a very good technology, but very expensive. So access to this technology is not for everybody. And so, and, and this can be a problem. So do you think that maybe um, technical advancements are not necessarily a good thing all the time because some of the young surgeons might uh, completely rely on that, but they won't necessarily know how to perform an operation without certain tools? Is that, is that a risk, do you think? I believe that this is a risk. This is a risk. Well, we, we were in the pandemic phase. So what happened during the pandemic? Several supplies 
didn't come into the hostel. So how can you do without those supplies? Of course. Yeah. You have to deal with the, this is a war scenario. Mm -hmm. And you have to deal with that. Some people learn and some people gave up. Yeah. And so you've seen, you've traveled a lot, obviously. Um, and do you, um, do you think that seeing um, surgeons perform, surgeons from different countries perform has um, helped you acquire different perspectives uh, for certain procedures, for example? Yeah, uh, and this is, I believe this is the beauty of the world. So when you are teaching by uh, one surgeon or uh, one school, one residence program, you are teaching that school. But there are maybe much more than one way to do the thing in a good way. Yeah. So if you have an opportunity to travel and see or coming in a place where you can see all those guys together and you can understand what they are doing, of course, every time you can have a new tip to improve what you are doing in a way that is going to facilitate uh, for you. And so, uh, and I believe this is, this is very important because when we, we, when we get out from a program of training, we believe that our masters, they know everything and they teach us in the best way possible. And there is nothing more to learn. And this is not the truth. Yeah. And this is not the truth. So I, I improve myself a lot coming into Africa. I'm still improving because every time that we come here, and even as a faculty, I believe, in fact, uh, we discuss about that among the faculties that uh, for us, the course is much better for us probably than for the attendees because we have an opportunity to, dis to discuss new things, to discuss things with people with a uh, high-end mind mm -hmm. and, and we can w wonder what we want to do for the future or changing something. And, and we see several seeds that uh, grow from here, from the discussions. And two years after, the guy published a paper. And we said, well, we discussed before this three years ago. And were there times when you, um, you know, because you confront ideas, uh, you, you compare points of view, were there times when you just simply didn't agree with another expert? Does that happen? That happens. Yeah. Uh, sometimes often. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you deal with that? Well... In life, you, 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 there are, there's this difference. So you can believe in something or you cannot. So sometimes there are differences. And I believe that in some certain areas, there is not the, the right answer. Because everything depends. Yeah. Every, everything depends on the environment, depends on the resources, depends how you can deal with the... <clears throat> Uh, patient, how the patients behave, because populations, they behave different. In Brazil, for example, they are uh, uh, God believers. It's difficult to speak about death. It's a bit difficult to speak about complications. Mm -hmm. In US, you come directly and you said you have six months of life. So populations react in a different way. There is a type of uh, disease that uh, we remove the rectum 
or we can put a uh, histomy, colostomy, or we can do uh, the anastomosis, the reconstruction. But the reconstruction has not good uh, functional results. It means that patient is going to use dippers for, he's not going to have any control. But some people believe that it's better to use a dipper instead of using the colostomy mm -hmm. because they're uh, um, a corporal image because the things that they believe. And so... And depends on the context. Depends on the context, exactly. And so if you are dealing with a doctor that uh, belongs to a place where it's cha-cha-cha yeah. and in your place is not like this way, you cannot agree what with some something that he is doing, and so that is that is the thing. I'd like to talk a bit about the uh, the friendships and uh, you know the camaraderie that exists between surgeons. I've I've witnessed that several times here at Ircad. Uh, when you guys get together, you're like a, also like a group of friends, aren't you? And uh, uh, do you think that maybe it's because you have you all have such a huge responsibility that you understand each other and it's like a like a special bond between you? Well, Chris, I believe that's a little bit more than that. I believe that is related to a family feeling. So as we respect each other, even if we have difference, so sometimes we, we have uh, fights here. Yeah, of course it happens. <laughs> you know? So, but uh, we, we respect each other. Mm -hmm. And so we respect our work. And uh, we know that uh, someone that come here as a faculty, he wants to share much more than being in the spot. And so it, it creates really this kind of a binding thing where uh, we start to be used with each other. Yeah. And so and when we come to a course and someone is missing, so there is a feeling that, well, what happened with that guy? We, we look for the guy. So, and, and, and I believe that is, this is a kind of feeling that you, you cannot uh, uh, see during the congresses or during the meetings. But when we are together in, in one meeting, for example, sometimes we go to the same meeting. So we act as a family over there. We, we go out uh, for parties, for lunches. We like to enjoy each other, to discuss. It's the, I believe that uh, you, know, you, you, you have the opportunity to be with people with, uh, that are brilliant minds. And so you have an opportunity to to be with them, to learn from them, and I to share with them. I believe this is this is something that is very special. Yeah, it's a great human experience, isn't it? Exactly. When you become part of the family, it's uh it's something that uh, uh, you you are accepted by the family because you behave like that. It's just well, I remember the first time that I came as a faculty was <laughs> was a little bit strange because you said, "Well, Brazilian surgeon in the middle of those those big sharks." what I'm doing here. But you know, with the past of the years, you, you know that everybody can have a place if you do what you are doing well. Could you have imagined, even in 2006 as a course participant, that you'll be, you'd be there going out with them, partying, and uh, was that something that you envisioned or? Yeah, exactly. Well, every, in, in IRCAD we have, uh, uh, for every course is one uh, dinner with uh, the experts and the attendees. So when you, have, you are in this dinner, so you see all of those peoples among the attendees. And in 2006, I, I was one of them. So you can sit behind, beside of uh, big guys. And so 
it's a it's a it's a real experience but uh when we you become part of these things that you you are with them all, all the time so it's a and I, when i was in 2006 i never imagined that it could happen for me yeah in fact that's so incredible it's, it is incredible yeah and how important is it to to do these things you know to to blow steam and to to relax you know because you have a very very demanding uh profession and lifestyle um how do you how do you find that balance between your professional life on one hand and your personal life well i believe that this is very important because uh we are humans beings very humans so we, we should have a balance it is important to have a balance something that you like to do besides your work some people love so much their work that for them the work is vacation so but uh, there is a time where uh, if you have a family and family is gonna suffer with that and so you have to see the other side also and so it is important to understand that you have to have a balance there is uh, uh, it's It's very important to have escape route. It means that you do something that uh, really you like outside of the work. Outside of the work. What is your escape route? Well, I, I play golf. Ah, okay. Okay, that's great. Do you just practice on your own or play with other... Yeah, like well, I, I, when, and when I have time uh, during the weekend, I, I play golf I, and I love to that why i decide to to use as golf the the way to to get out of the my my work because you are in at least four hours in a place where usually is a huge and amazing and beautiful garden and golf course is always a place where you are totally disconnected from from the world you, you turn off your cell phone you are with friends yeah And sometimes you, you play with big sharks from other areas that you didn't know, but everything that matters there is the is the ball and the hole. <laughs> do, you, do, you also, do you get competitive though? Or is yeah, it, sometimes, uh, yeah. yeah. You can be competitive. <laughs> yeah. Uh, some, like, some people like to bet a little bit just uh -huh. to improve. So, but we bet what we bet? We bet one beer. Okay. Uh, we bet, uh, well, something like a, a tea. Yeah, yeah. So it's harmless. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. It's harmless. It's just, uh, just, just to to improve the 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 business yeah. and of the the sport. And and uh, at the end of the day, so you are relaxing. And golf has 18 holes, but there is a 19 hole. 19 hole is where everybody get together to have a, a drink, to relax, to have conversations. And so this is where we. Relax ourselves, and and nowadays, uh, men and women are playing together, so you can have a mix of everybody. In the past, it used to be only men's or gentlemen's club. Nowadays, it's it's open, so it's it is funny, and and for me, uh, the golf is is the way that uh, I could put my mind in order. Yeah. And uh, I also like to travel. So when, when we are in the golf course, we never think about work. When, when we are traveling, even if it's for work, uh, you can disconnect a little bit when you are in the plane or when you uh, go to see some places that you, you never saw, like a, a tour. 
I went to Japan. I remember the first time I was walking into the shrines and seeing that beautiful things with more than uh, 500 years. Wow. And so, and you know what happens? Thoughts are going to pop up. And so you start to think about the technique, you start to think about things that you can improve and you have to take notes. <laughs> and so it's, it is crazy. It never happens in the golf course, but every time that I'm outside of my uh, uh, day, uh, just doing something that I'm not using to, in, in, a, in a travel usually, uh, a lot of things pop up. So, But that's because you're passionate about this. Yeah. Probably. Uh, probably, yeah. 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 How do you handle all the all the traveling? You know, with your being away from your family uh, a lot throughout the year, is that is that something that's hard to handle? Well, uh, my kids complain a lot. Mm. They used to complain, but now they are used to. But uh, w what we do sometimes, depending on the place where we are going, we extend uh, one week more with the family for uh, vacations, so everybody gets happy. And, and I believe that uh, this is an important thing. Of course. So, of and, course. and there is another thing that is when you are traveling with, uh, for work or friends, you have an experience with uh, restaurants. You have some experience that is not, uh, uh, you, you cannot, uh, how can I say, it, uh, forget, for example. You cannot, so, so, so are some experience that are very special. Yeah, of course. Yes, very important, you know, to have that balance anyway. So, you know, this show is aimed at young surgeons and uh, medical students as well. Um, so we need your words of wisdom. What would be the one best piece of advice you could give to our listeners today? Choose something that you are going to do with passion. Be respectful. Yes. Understand that you have some someone besides you that has not the same desire or not the same skills and uh, understand that if you can help someone is the good way to do but uh, you have to do with passion i believe this is the most important thing passion passion yeah, absolutely passion is everything that's very wise absolutely what's next for you what are your next projects for the future well, we never know. <laughs> never know. <laughs> it happens sometimes, but uh, we, ne we never know. I'm very excited because Ricard is expanding. We have uh, Africa where we can help. There is China, USA, uh, maybe India, several places uh, where we can go and share and know more people. I believe this is an exciting the world of surgery. It's very exciting, very promising indeed. Armando Melani, thank you so much for being with us today. It was it was great. Muito obrigado. <laughs> thank you so much. Obrigado, um, please. I'd like to thank uh, all our listeners worldwide. Uh, I'd like to thank Rita Rodriguez and Margot Dibolt for coming up with this great idea of the podcast. Uh, big thanks to Melody, our audiovisual technician as well, for taking care of all the technical aspects of the podcast too. Uh, stay tuned, guys, because we've got some more big names of surgery coming up on the show. Uh, and I'm sure there's a lot that we can learn from their stories, just like today. So stay tuned and see you guys next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.